thankful to, uh, to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, before we uh, get into the message, um, Brother McCain, Sean, would you pray for us? Amen. Well, this is, um, well, I guess we should officially say last week was uh, the week that our country officially sets aside every year uh, to focus on being thankful um, and giving thanks uh, for the things that we have. And uh, we have a lot to be thankful for as we think about um, just as American citizens, we have tons to be thankful for. Uh, we live in a country that certainly has its problems, but with even the, um, the declines and the difficulties, uh, we enjoy an overwhelming amount of comforts and privileges that the majority of the world does not. Um, and these are blessings. Now we're still thinking, we're thinking materially here. We're thinking about from an outward standpoint and, and we'll get to the spiritual side, but, but these are blessings that are from God and, and they ought to be acknowledged as such. And we ought to be given thanks for them as Christians and citizens of uh, the kingdom of God. As we said this morning, giving thanks particularly giving thanks to God, ought to be a normal part of life. We ask this question fairly often here as we're thinking about various things, this question of normality, what should be normal for a Christian? What should be normal for a church? How do we know any of that? Obviously, Scripture is our standard for normal. And so when you think about passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 18, where Paul says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Um, when you look that verse up in the original language, it means, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <laughs> okay, this is not a complicated verse. It's very clear in what's being uh, communicated here. If you want to know or if you have an interest in what is God's will concerning me and concerning my life, then a very clear part of His will is that in everything, you and I would be a people who give thanks. Now what about Ephesians chapter 5? And we're, we're kind of building up to the to the message this morning, but Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 18, where he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now we're talking about Spirit-filled living at this point. Verse 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And verse 20, giving thanks always 
for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's normal for a Spirit-filled Christian, someone who is walking in the Spirit, and what's normal is that we would be giving thanks in all things to God through Christ. Or we think about Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 where Paul says, Be careful or anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, these are familiar passages for most of us here. If you're familiar with Scripture and the New Testament or even uh, messages or, or, or uh, um, talks on thanksgivings and, and uh, what it means to be thankful or how the Christian ought to be thankful, uh, these three verses are certainly verses you've heard before. And so while they're familiar passages to most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we do have to admit that we can struggle here. We can struggle with being discontent um, or what Scripture calls covetous. That is just a, an incessant, inordinate desire for more than what God has given us. And a, and a hyper focus on that to the extent that we no longer are thankful for what we actually do have. Beginning to believe that in order for us to be happy or joyful, we must have that which is just out of our reach. We live in a culture that really does cultivate that sort of an attitude, that sort of a mindset, that unless you can have what you don't currently have, then you can't really be content or happy. And that's a pretty attractive message for fallen sinners who are naturally inclined to be self-centered. And so the struggle there is real. And the question that I want to think about this morning is that in light of that struggle, how can we cultivate a heart of gratitude? How can we cultivate a heart of gratitude? That is really what's being communicated here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Ephesians 5, 20, Philippians 4, 6. And when I'm thinking about a heart of gratitude, I'm really thinking about an, an, an attitude of gratitude in the sense of it's not just that the Christian is going around with all these one-off thanksgivings. Okay, What I mean by that is it's not that we're waiting necessarily for circumstances to align before we can give thanks. It's not that we're waiting for good things to happen to us or things that we think about being good or evaluate as being good uh, before we can give thanks. Now, that's not the message of Scripture for the Christian. The Christian has, an, has a heart attitude of thankfulness to God. And that's based on more than just circumstance. So cultivating means we're constantly doing the things that need to be done to produce this heart of gratitude. Um, now, as we do that, then we will recognize, that's for sure, we will recognize God's blessings in our lives. But, you know, if we just think about it this way, how many times 
does God bless us in what we might think of mundane ways that has humongous splashes in our life? How many times does God bless us that it just can, just really goes unnoticed? Or if we noticed, it goes unrecognized in the sense of acknowledged. Well, we would have to admit that happens far too often, don't we? And I would argue that's a problem of the heart. If, if we had a, if we, if we are cultivating a heart of gratitude, we're not going to miss where God is working. Not nearly as much as we do. So I want to use Colossians chapter three, verses one through four as a text that gives some specific instruction here that we can use to cultivate a heart of gratitude. Now, this particular passage, the focus of this particular passage is not really uh, on gratitude, but it is on our walk in Christ. So this is the, the section in Colossians where there's a little bit of a turn to practical applications. And so I think these passages are pertinent and instructive as we think about cultivating a heart of gratitude. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Now, this morning and this afternoon, I want to look at uh, five ways you can be cultivating your heart to a heart of gratitude. Or maybe we could say it this way. This is a how-to sermon. Okay, so... It's it's not a uh, it's not a you should be thankful you know that already right and that's an easy sermon to preach you should be thankful you're not thankful do better you know that's a pretty easy one I win every time okay. but that's not what this is this is a how to cultivate your heart to be more of or growing in a heart of gratitude okay so. Again, from the text, point number one out of Colossians 3.1. And uh, I'm going to be talking about each of these points or stating these points in a present tense. That is, these are things that you need to be, that I need to be constantly doing. Okay, Cultivating is an ongoing work. It's not something that you do one time and stop. Now, this might be offensive and if it is, you're going to have to take it up with the Lord whenever you die. But I would say one of the biggest reasons why uh, we do not, myself included, that we do not have more of a heart of gratitude and we don't grow in this area the way that we should is just simply out of laziness. Okay? It's out of laziness. And, and I say that just to drive home the tense of what these statements are going to be. So statement number one is, out of Colossians 3.1, if you then be risen with Christ, okay, what's happening here 
Well, statement number one is be identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. You realize you have a whole new identity in Christ that you didn't have before you were saved. You realize that there are things about you now that are true that were not true at one point that you had no reason to claim that you had no reason to think were yours, that you've been given an inheritance in Jesus Christ that is is more than you could have ever hoped for. But, and we're going to look at some of that in a minute, if we are not actively identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ, that is, laying hold of these realities that we have in Christ, then these truths will not affect our hearts. So number one, be identifying yourself with Christ. That's just your identity, a heart that is identified with Christ. Believing, celebrating the reality of who you are in Jesus. Now, for this, we're going to go to to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, just as far as thinking about, rehearsing these realities. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm not going to go to all these passages. I'm going to kind of bullet point some of this. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What does this mean? This means that in Christ, your identity in Christ, in Christ you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. It means that if you have Him, Spiritually speaking, you have everything. You lack nothing. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says that if God would give us His Son, would He not with Him give us all things? Now, what's the point here? The point is that if if you've been given Christ, then, then God has given you the best He could possibly give. There's nothing that gets better than that. If you've been given Christ and you've been given life and you've been brought out of darkness into light, out of deadness into life in Him, there's nothing better that you could be given as far as God is concerned. And so when we think about all these things that we've been given in Christ because we are identified with Him, we're thinking about God who is lavishing us with good gifts. So, in Christ, out of Ephesians 1.4, you have been chosen by God. That is, chosen for a purpose. His purpose. In Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. That's who you are. You are a member of the household of God in Christ. 
In Christ, you are accepted by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And I understand that we can go through this list and, and as you're listening to it, maybe it's okay, okay, I, I know all this. Let's get to the rest. Let's get to the rest. But that, that really is the problem of a heart that's not grateful, isn't it? A heart that's not grateful is always ready to get to the next thing, right? Remember, discontentment is just that, that, that joy or that contentment just being just out of reach. Come on, get to the next thing, get to the next thing. But a heart of gratitude is a heart that is savoring what God has already given, not what He might give later. He's already chosen us in Christ. Now, the, 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 the missing piece between this information and transformation as far, of our, as far as our heart rejoicing in these realities is meditation. Okay. More than likely, you're not going to jump off the pew because I read a couple of bullet points. Your heart will be warmed and begin to rejoice in these realities as you personally take the time to meditate on what these mean for you. By that, I don't mean you get to come up with your own meaning. I mean, as you think about your own life as it relates to these blessings that you've received. And so you've been chosen by God. You've been adopted into His family. You've been made accepted by God in Christ. In Christ, you've been redeemed. Bought out of the slave market of sin so that sin is no longer your master. You're not in, you're not in bondage to sin. You're not under sin's power. And that's a blessing that you've received because of who you are in Christ. In Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You no longer possess guilt before God. That's a blessing, isn't it? As we stand before God, we stand before Him spotless. You know the old phrase, it's just as if you'd never ever sinned. In Christ, you've obtained an inheritance. That is something that's waiting on you. And in Christ, you've been indwelt by and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is... He's put His mark on you. He has identified you as one who will one day be fully redeemed, possessing all the blessings and privileges of children of God. Now, there's another reality that is tied to, and Ephesians hits this in a different way, but there's another reality of this being indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God out of 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, and we've referenced this uh, over the last couple of weeks, but it's worth talking about again. We're thinking about our identity in Christ, what we've received in Him. As we think about receiving the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. What does that mean? It means that not only have you received all these things in Christ, 
but it's been revealed to you as you've been given the Spirit of God who has given you a spiritual understanding and perception so that whenever these things are mentioned, if we back up in the chapter, these aren't foolishness to you. These aren't a stumbling block to you. These things are means by which we rejoice in the realities of what we've received in Christ because I've been made a new creation in Him. So, number one, as we think about cultivating a heart of gratitude, exercise number one is be identifying yourself with Christ. You are risen with Him. You are united to Him. And all that He has purchased for His people belongs to you. Now, if you can't rejoice in that, or or we could say it this way, if that's not a reality for you, then the rest of this isn't going to mean anything. Can you see the difference in rejoicing because you are identifying yourself with Christ and then giving thanks because you found a sale at the store? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't give thanks when you find a sale at the store, but if your thanksgiving and gratitude is built on that kind of thing, that's not a heart of gratitude. That's not going to carry you through. That's not going to keep you from being discontent. That's all circumstantial. This is, this is a new reality that you've received because you've been saved by God. So number one, be identifying with Christ. This is something we have to remind ourselves on a regular basis. Number two, again, Colossians 3 verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, there's your identity, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Number one, be identifying yourself with Christ. Number two, be seeking those things which are above. Be seeking those things which are above. Now, we're thinking about the heart here. And so the truth is, we live out of a heart that is active and pursuing your heart is pursuing something right now. Okay? It's, uh, there is no such thing as someone who isn't motivated or someone who isn't pursuing something. You know, there are times where, um, uh, people can get the idea that, um, you know, folks just aren't motivated anymore. The youth just aren't motivated anymore. Those who are lazy just aren't motivated anymore. You've heard that sort of thing, but that's not very accurate. Um, those who seem unmotivated are probably more motivated than you are. It's just to keep what they want. So those who seem lazy and you connect that to, to a lack of motivation, not true. If my driving motive, if my driving pursuit is to do nothing and just do what I want to do, i got to put up with a lot to maintain that. 
I got to put up with a lot of folks saying a lot of things. The point I'm making here is every single heart in this room is pursuing something. So the question is, what are you pursuing? Now, each of these things are going to build on each other because I'll tell you that where you find your identity is going to affect what you're pursuing. You find your identity in Christ and you will pursue and seek those things which are above. You find your identity at work. That's what you're going to seek and pursue. You find your identity in um, entertainment, in sports, in what people think about you, and fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. You're going to pursue where you've rooted your identity. And so this has to do with overall life goals that really direct your day-to-day decisions. Questions like, where are you investing your time, your energy, your resources, your efforts? Where are those being invested? Well, that's the real answer to, what am I seeking? What am I pursuing? Jeremiah 17 tells us our hearts are deceptive. That is, we can be pursuing one thing and convince ourselves that we're seeking another. But your time, your resources... Your energy, your efforts, those things don't lie. Seeking those things that are above. The, I guess the flip side's just as helpful. The question could be, what are you neglecting, ignoring, sacrificing, and avoiding as it relates to commitment and responsibilities? That'll, that'll tell you as well what you're not seeking. So, go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And you may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with uh, gratitude again? Well, how in the world can you be thankful to God if you're not pursuing the things of God? How can you rejoice in God's blessings if you're pursuing worldly treasures? It doesn't work, it'll never work. Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse uh, 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this treasure and affections here in a minute. But it's just this seeking treasure that's in heaven. You're laying it up. You're seeking it. You're pursuing it. What does it mean? Well, he goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 to say it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things, the things that the unbelievers chase after, all these other things will be added to you. So if we think about this from, a, again, a practical standpoint, we're thinking about the how-tos here. What exactly are we seeking or pursuing? Um, you know, seeking heavenly treasures is fine and well. I mean, it's Scripture, but it's kind of vague. What are we even talking about here? When we're thinking about this as being a lifestyle or a pursuit. Well, I'll give two that are pretty encompassing. I think most everything fits under these two. Number one, 
We are seeking a living, growing fellowship with God through Christ. What does it mean to seek heavenly treasure? What does it mean to seek things that are above? Well, the greatest possession that the Christian has is fellowship with God. It's their relationship with Jesus Christ. In Lamentations, after Jeremiah had lost just about everything, he says, Lord, you are my portion. That is, you are who I am seeking to live off of. Well, look in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist here is seeking this fellowship, this growing relationship with the Lord and And he says, in your presence, that is, when I'm in fellowship with you, when I'm communing with you, there is fullness of joy. You know, there's a difference between joy and happiness. You can live for being happy, but that's not really going to end well. Happiness is circumstantial. You can't control what's going to make you happy. And if you can or cannot get it. The opposite of being happy is sad, right? You know, you can be sad and joyful at the same time. You can shed tears and laugh in the same moment. You can do that. You can, you can rejoice even when your heart is crushed. How does that happen? Well, it's in a living relationship with the living God. That's how that happens. It's, it's as you are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. When we think about this priority, Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple." He says, more than anything else, I want to seek, I want to pursue a relationship with the Lord. I want to be in His presence. I want to enjoy the beauty of His presence. So how do we do that? Well, as we seek a living, growing relationship and fellowship with God, For the Christian, it really comes through a lifestyle of confession, repentance, and faith. Confession, repentance, and faith. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is coming onto the scene. His ministry is beginning. And His message is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so be repenting and be believing. That is, you want to enter into the kingdom? 
You want to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom? Do you want to live under the rule and reign of God and enjoy fellowship with Him? It comes through repentance and faith. You know, a lot of times repentance is thought of in a negative way. A lot of times people don't want to hear preaching on repentance. They certainly don't want to be told to repent. When I say they, I can certainly find myself in uh, uh, places where that would be true of, of me and it could be true of you. But if we're seeing things right, Repentance is a wonderful gift. Repentance is a means to an end. And unless you have rooted your identity in Christ and you are resting in the righteousness of Christ, you'll hate repentance. You'll hate the message of repentance. You'll hate the command to repent. But if you're resting in the righteousness of Christ... Repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance is a good thing. It's a gift that God gives. 1 John 1.9 tells us that we can deal with our sin. We can deal with our sin in a way that restores fellowship with God. That is by confessing. And by implication there, there's a turning and a repenting. It says when we do that, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, if we're seeking things that are above, number one, if we're seeking fellowship with God through Christ, confession and repentance is going to be a normal part of life. Maybe you've made the connection before, maybe you haven't. But you show me an individual who is regularly confessing their sin and repenting of that sin. I'll show you an individual who's cultivated a heart of gratitude. You cannot look your sin square in the eye and be thankful unless you are rooted and grounded in the love of God through Christ. Okay, you just can't do that. So, confession, repentance, faith. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Obviously, we're just kind of skipping a rock over these. We could just park it here and spend the whole time. But if we're seeking those things which are above, not only are we confessing, not only are we repenting, but we are building our faith as we spend time knowing, learning, walking in, grasping, laying hold of Scripture. The promises of God. God's instruction. The realities of what we have in Christ, as we talked about earlier. You find someone who's filled with the Word of God, someone who, who is living a life in such a way that the Word of God is dwelling in them. You find someone who is cultivating a heart of gratitude. 
But you know the opposite. The opposite of this is uh, sometimes it's helpful to look at opposites when we're trying to think about a positive side of things. So what's the opposite of living a life of confession, repentance, and faith because we are deeply rooted and grounded in the love of God and the righteousness of Christ? Well, Romans chapter 10 gives us one opposite. Romans chapter 10, Paul says that his heart was that Israel would be saved and he bore them record that they had zeal, but it wasn't according to knowledge. And then verse 3 says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What's one of the opposites of just refusing to live a life of repentance, faith, or confession, repentance, and faith? Well, it's a life that's lived seeking to establish your own righteousness. Trying to convince yourself and trying to convince other people that you are good because of what you do. Now, this will wear you out because it consists of Self-justification, excuses, spotlighting other people's sin to make you feel better about yourself and about your choices. See, all of this is a symptom of not resting in the righteousness of Christ. All of this is the alternative to a life of repentance and faith. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you, if you are living a life that is characterized by trying to justify yourself, make excuses for your sin, and highlight the sins of others so you feel better about yourself, you will not have a heart full of gratitude. Your heart will be full of cynicism, overly critical of other people, certainly not focused on what the Lord has done for you. So seeking those things which are above is number one, seeking fellowship with Jesus Christ. Number two, pursuing and cultivating a Christ-like character. What does it mean to seek those things which are above? It means that you're seeking to participate in the sanctification process as you're being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. A lack of gratitude is a character flaw, isn't it? I mean, for the Christian... And so we just think about one character trait here. It's the character trait you must possess if you're going to be thankful, and that is humility. You know, humble people are thankful, aren't they? And that's primarily because humble people are not entitled. They're not always thinking about what they deserve. They're thinking about how thankful they are for the, for the things that they don't deserve that they've been given. So Philippians chapter 2 is a good, that's our humility chapter. We go there often as, as far as Christians is looking to see the pattern Christ has laid out. Philippians chapter 2, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So again, this is a very clear portion of Scripture. It's talking about a a mind of humility. Don't do anything through pride or vain glory. Don't just look on your own things, but look on the things of others. Clear enough. Some ways we can say simple enough as far as the understanding. But you know, in order to obey verses 1 through 5, you have to be willing to submit to verses 6 through 8. 1 through 5 are clear enough. But if we're going to let the mind of Christ dwell in us, we're going to have to cultivate that, do that, get there the same way He did. How did He get there? Look in verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What is this? Well, it's a willingness to sacrifice legitimate rights for the glory of God. Number two, but made himself of no reputation. That just simply means he made himself nothing. So being willing to sacrifice legitimate rights. Number two, being willing to make yourself nothing. Well, you couldn't find a message that was in any more contrast to the spirit of the age, could you? Third, He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being willing to identify yourself as a servant. That doesn't mean whenever somebody comes into the room and says, all the servants raise your hand, you raise your hand. That means you actually think about yourself as the servant of others. You... you, you are looking on the things of others, not just the things of yourself. You see, a Christ-like character, particularly this this character quality of humility, sometimes can be romanticized. We We can think about being a servant, and it can be romanticized. But there's nothing romantic about making yourself nothing. There's nothing romantic about you willingly giving up legitimate rights. There's nothing romantic about you seeing yourself as the servant of all. And then the last one here is being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is being willing to obey God at all costs. This is what Christ did. This is what humility looks like. This is what we submit to verses 6 through 8 if we're going to get to verses 1 through 5. Wait a second. 
mean, that kind of a life is a lot more difficult than we think, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's why that's why a heart of gratitude is very difficult to to cultivate. Because a heart of gratitude is not a heart that's thinking about you. Right? And that's where we are most of the time. All of us on neutral. I mean, the 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 the, the song of our heart is that I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life. And you don't cooperate and you're getting in the way of that. Okay? But the, the, the reality here is that we are called, or seeking those things which are above, we are called to grow in a Christ-like character, which means in one aspect, we're growing less and less in love with self and more and more in love with Christ. Well, this is part of what it means to seek those things which are above. Be seeking those things which are above. Now, third, and this is where we'll end for this morning, out of Colossians chapter 3, we said in verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, be identifying yourself with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the throne. Be seeking those things which are above. And then verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So here it is. Be setting your affections above. Now, these are all uh, kind of deconstructing in the sense of we're starting at the top and moving our way down. But you're not going to be seeking things above if your affections aren't set on things above. Right? And so it's a heart that's treasuring or valuing something. And here's another way of saying what we just said. You will always pursue what you value. You will always pursue what you value. Sometimes people look and... and uh, at the decisions that other people make, at uh, you know, sin makes you stupid, doesn't it? I mean, it just doesn't make sense whenever you see it for what it is. But the reason that um, you look and you think, I just don't understand. I don't understand how someone could do that. And when we say that, that's simply because we're not thinking about this in the in a value system type mentality. Sin's never logical. And if you're surprised at the fact that people who sin do illogical things, you need to go back and read Scripture a little closer. We don't sin because it makes sense on paper. We sin because we cultivate idols in our heart. Because we adopt value systems that are contrary to God's value system and we pursue those things and we call them beautiful when God calls them wretched. So what does it mean to cultivate a heart of gratitude? Well, part of that is setting our affections on things above. Now, the word affections in this verse is translated set your mind on things above and some other versions, and that's a legitimate translation. But, but the word here, it denotes uh, thought. It denotes interest and regard for something. So it, really, I think 
probably a, a better way to say this is set your interests on things above. Get interested in. Set your affections, your thoughts, your minds, your interests on things above. This same word is used whenever Jesus rebukes Peter. Uh, when Peter tells him he will not go to the cross in Matthew 16, 23. And, and Jesus says it this way, Peter, you do not savor those things that uh, you do not savor the things of God. The word savor there. Um, you're not um, uh, interested in those in this mindset that you have. You're not regarding those. So setting your affections on things above. So, so here's the question. How do we do that? How do we set our affections? How do we set our interest on things above? Well, another common passage that we reference often is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Where Solomon says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out it, out of it are the issues of life. The word keep there is just the word guard. So how do we set our affections above? Well, number one, we do this by guarding our hearts. This is something that is, um, we're instructed to do several different places in scripture. Proverbs chapter 22, verse five talks about keeping or guarding your soul. This is synonymous. We're talking about the inner man, the seat of affections. The, the heart is that which thinks, that which chooses, acts, desires. And we guard that. Well, what does it mean to guard it? Well, it means that we're keeping a check on it. It means that we're not feeding it with things that are destructive. We're not feeding it with things that numb the senses. It means really we're not following it. That's probably the best way to say it. The best way to guard your heart is to not let it lead you. Rather than... uh, Leading or being led by your heart, we're called to to lead our hearts. That is, engage with, wrestle with. You know, part of growing in the sanctification process is is adopting God's value system. And we said this already, but I'll say it again. This means that we learn to value what God values, but it also means that we learn to accurately value what God values, if that makes sense. You know, there are some things that are good that we can make an idol out of because we value them too much. So for instance, we talked about this last week, sleep is a good gift from God, isn't it? I mean, none of us are going to make it without sleep. Um, it's It's a gift from God. Yet in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 13, we're commanded, do not love sleep. Why? Because it's a good gift, but you got to, you have to be a good steward of the good gift. It's a good gift. It's a horrible master. And so if you look through Proverbs, 
constantly you're getting encouragement in different wordings not to love sleep, not to be a sluggard, so forth and so on. And so, I mean, I love sleep. I'm, I'm thankful for it in the sense of I'm glad God gives it to me. But I can't make an idol out of that. So learning to value accurately what God uh, values. So how do, we, how do we do that? Well, this is just another way of saying what we've said before, but look in Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. He says, Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. So number one, we said, if we're going to set our affections on things above, we need to guard our heart. Number two, if we're going to set our affections on things above, we need to guide our heart. We need to guide our heart. Well, how is that done? Well, if you go back a few verses in Proverbs 23, verse 12, he says, apply thine heart to instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. How do we guide our heart? Again, by, um, by leading it, not being led by it. By, by filling it with Scripture. By recognizing that our heart might be uh, seeking to lead us astray and making sure that our guide is the light of God's Word. You know, your affections are always built on what you think about something. It's always built on what you think about something. So there are some people in this world that you absolutely love. And there are some people in this world you absolutely cannot stand. And the difference is what you think about the person. Guiding your heart is another way we could say it this way, informing your heart as to what God thinks, how God would have us to go, how God would have us to live. Psalm 37, verse 4, we're called to delight ourselves in the Lord. That is, we're guiding our hearts. We're... we're, we're, we're um, uh, changing the course or the direction of where we're parking our hearts, where we're seeking to find delight. You know how this works. You get up on Sundays and most of you are here because it's just your habit to be here. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, if every decision we made was based on how we felt, we'd be in bad shape, wouldn't we? I would dare say that on an average Sunday, the minute you wake up, you don't feel like getting up and doing the things that have to be done to make it to church. But when you get here and you go through the day and you leave, you're thankful that you were here because you are delighting in the Lord and what you've received. Okay? This is an example of guiding your heart in the way. You instructing your heart rather than being led by it. Delighting yourself in the Lord even when you don't feel like it initially. Now, Psalm 119 would let us in on a 
secret, and then this will be the end of the, the morning portion of the message. Psalm 119, verse 16. We find passages like this throughout the Psalms where the psalmist says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, this is an act of the will. The psalmist here is not just hoping that this will happen. You say, well, you can't really control that, can you? Well, an individual who's been indwelt by the Spirit of God and made alive to the things of Christ can delight in the Word of God. You've been given that capacity. The psalmist here doesn't say, I'm going to try to, or I might, or I hope I will, or I wish I would. He says, I will delight myself in the Word. This is going to be something that I'm choosing to do. Brothers and sisters, it's going to have to be the same with us. We're going to have to choose to set our affections, to get interested in things above. We're going to have to choose to seek those things which are above. We're going to have to choose to root our identity in Jesus Christ and meditate on those realities. But as we choose that, then we are cultivating a heart of gratitude that isn't based on circumstance, but it's a heart that is producing joy no matter the circumstance. This is what James has in mind in James chapter 1 when he talks about counting it all joy when you meet various trials and all kinds of difficulties. Well, the circumstance is difficult. It's hard. But if you've already begun to cultivate, or in James's is, uh, uh, particular instruction, it's to get busy continuing to cultivate, cultivating these realities that God is doing something good. And so, cultivating a heart of gratitude because of who you are in Christ, because of what you're seeking in Christ, and because of where you're setting your affections in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, thankful for what You've done for us. We're thankful that we are a new creation in Christ. And yet, Father, we have to confess that so often the things we've talked about this morning, um, we almost uh, are tempted to leave at the starting line. This is where we began. And uh, we can tend to uh, leave those things um, in the past as far as our hearts and minds are concerned. But Lord, we pray that You would bless us to cultivate these present realities in our minds. I pray we would never get bored with these spiritual realities. I pray that we would never um, uh, get become discontent um, with uh, the spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ. And yet, Lord, we know that if we aren't busy cultivating these things, that's just exactly where we'll end up. Discontent and ungrateful. And so I pray that you would bless us to lay hold of these things this morning and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.